Well, all day long we've been privileged to walk around here in the ancient city of Rome and we've seen some impressive things. We've seen the forums that the Caesars built. We've seen the gardens and the temples and the statues. Here as we end the day, we're standing in front of this Colosseum and come on, I mean, that's an impressive piece of architecture, even 2,000 years later. I don't think I've ever stood in front of a symbol of such imposing power. It really does help you to understand the greatness that the Roman Empire achieved. Just before coming here, I was reading in the book of Acts, the very last chapter, chapter 28, and the last couple of verses about Paul and how for two years he spent his time sharing his story sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with the people here in Rome. And though he wasn't dumb and he saw the power and the majesty and the glory of this place, he wasn't threatened by it, wasn't intimidated by it, and wasn't impressed with it. He came into this city and, and he told them that they were missing out. In the middle of the day, we got to walk away from the opulence and the power and the uh, the majesty of Rome and we literally got to walk down the steps to a hole in the ground, the place where they dropped the unwanted and the enemies of the state to this dark, wet dungeon of a prison where you were put in this hole and you just waited to die. It's the place where they threw the Apostle Paul. We keep finding him in the exact place most of us would never want to go a hole in the ground awaiting execution, no one would want that. And it just reveals the power of his faith. He saw beyond the moment. He saw beyond all this power, and he realized it was an illusion because both stories end. If you were able to ask Paul which story he'd prefer, he'd take the hole in the ground any day because he saw the glory of Rome, but he saw it as nothing compared to the glory of God. And he was willing to live that story. And so if we could choose, and if we're honest, we know we can, which story, which ending would we choose? footsteps of Paul in Rome just really does just bring to the surface of your life the unbelievable story this guy lived, the impact he's had on the people of his day, but even more so the, the people of our day, our world today has been impacted by the story of Paul. But, but Paul's story wasn't always such a positive story. I mean, his story wasn't always about his compassion, his commitment, his devotion, his sacrifices for the name of Jesus in this world. The reality is that when we first meet Paul in the Bible, he was literally a monster, a terrorist to all who would follow Jesus Christ. I mean, it begins in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, where we get this glimpse of him, and the verse just says, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. Saul was Paul's name before it was changed, and, 
and Saul was giving approval to his death, the hymn was Stephen. Stephen, the very first person killed for following Christ. And Paul was at the center of that. In fact, Paul, it turns out, was the catalyst of killing Stephen and, and then turning a huge persecution loose in Jerusalem on anyone who would name Jesus, so much so that almost all Christ followers had to leave Jerusalem and scatter to other parts of the world. And so chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, it continues. Meanwhile, after all of Jerusalem was persecuted by this guy and people scattered everywhere, Saul wasn't satisfied. He was still breathing out murderous threats. He was a monster against the Lord's disciples. So he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters of approval to go to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether they were men or women, it didn't matter who they were, he could take them as prisoners to Jerusalem and destroy their lives like he had destroyed every Christ follower in Jerusalem. I mean, this guy was a mess in the name of his God, in the name of his religion, in the name of what he saw as right and wrong, he was willing to destroy the lives of anyone who would follow Jesus. This is not a guy that you build statues out of. This is not a guy that you name cathedrals after. This is not a guy that you give the name saint to, and yet this is exactly what we've done for Paul. How could it be that such a monster is someone so celebrated in our world? Well, the answer is simple. He changed his story. Think about that. He changed his story. I mean, he had written an entire story, an entire book of his life, and he threw it away, and, and he wrote a new one, a different one. When his eyes were opened to the reality of the one that he was trying to destroy, Jesus, when, when Jesus revealed himself to Paul, as he was going to Damascus to destroy all Jesus' followers, Paul's eyes were finally opened, and, and he realized, standing there in front of Jesus, seeing Jesus for who he really was, he realized he'd been living the wrong story. You know, a lot of people hear the name of Jesus, but it doesn't change their life. Paul had heard the name of Jesus, didn't change his life. It made him more and more angry. A lot of people know the story of Jesus, but it doesn't change their life. It just it leaves them the same. That's what happened to Saul. It actually made him more angry. But, but when he finally met Jesus, when his eyes were finally opened to who this guy was that people sang about and talked about, he saw that he was living the entirely wrong life. And he chose an entirely different story from that time on. And because he chose a different story, we now celebrate him as someone very different than how we first met him. In fact, just to see the beginnings of it, Acts chapter 9, the latter part of verse 19 through 22, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. He went to destroy their lives, but he met Jesus, and he realized he was living the wrong story, and, and it didn't take him, you know, years to figure this out. He changed his story immediately, and so those he went to destroy, he hung out with. And at once he began, it says, to preach in the synagogues, not anti-Jesus stuff, but that Jesus is the Son of God. He, he started proclaiming the name of Jesus, the one that he had been attacking. And, and you can imagine the confusion that erupted in this town. It's, it says, all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the guy who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call him? Isn't this the guy who destroyed every Jesus follower in Jerusalem? And then it says, and, 
And hasn't he come here to do the same, to take them as prisoners to the chief priests, to destroy their lives too? And yet, it says Saul grew more and more powerful as a Christ follower and baffled the Jews and everyone who knew his old story as he was living in Damascus. And, and instead of destroying Jesus, he proved that Jesus is the Christ. I mean, this guy lived a different story. Let me, let me kind of summarize the story. The man who was anything but a saint is now known as St. Paul. <laughs> Isn't that great? It's awesome. There's a chance that someday I will be St. Brad. <laughs> All right, some stories can't change. I get it. I don't know. He changed his story. He changed his story. And I have to tell you, as I was standing in Rome and kind of reliving and seeing the context of his story and understanding the opulence that was around him and how he said no to the opulence and yes to the dungeon and ultimately to death and destruction for Jesus, I, I have to tell you, I mean, it discouraged me quite a bit about my story. I mean, my story isn't like that story, really. My, my life isn't like his life. But then it started unfolding in my mind that the story that we celebrate him for wasn't his story at all. He changed his story. In fact, this truth is what captured me in Rome. It captured me. Jesus made it possible for us to change our story. I mean, Paul is an encouragement because he's a guy who lived a horrifically destructive life. And now he is known and celebrated as being St. Paul because he, he allowed Jesus to change his story. I don't have to be discouraged when I see other people living out great stories in the name of Jesus. I don't have to feel diminished. I, I don't have to be down just because I've blown it time and time again, nor do you, because the truth is that Jesus made it possible for us to change our story. And, and this really comes alive to me when, when it's Paul's pen that is the one writing it. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they become a new creation. The old story is gone. The new has come. And this is Paul. He's, he's saying, look it, I'm being celebrated, but I'm a monster. I'm being celebrated. I'm the chief of sinners. I'm being celebrated as strong, but I'm weak. But I'm telling you the good news. The story that I wrote doesn't have to be the story of my life. The story that Jesus writes can be the story of my life, and I can choose it. Jesus can change my story. Isn't that awesome for us today? It's awesome. But there's an application to it. Because there were a lot of people back then in Paul's day who had lived better lives really than Paul. Less destructive, less demeaning, less horrific, less monstrous. And yet their stories never changed. They, they never wrote new stories with their life. It was available to them. Jesus made it possible for everyone to change their story, but, but they never experienced it. Why is that? Because they didn't make the same choice Paul made. Paul saw his 
story before Christ as being wrong, and he chose the new story that Christ offered, but the majority of people in his day didn't, which is why the majority of people in his day abused him and rejected him and betrayed him and beat him and tortured him and threw him in a dungeon and ultimately killed him. We saw a statue in Rome of, of Paul with a sword, and that's because that's how he died. He had his head cut off because he was a follower of Jesus. And these are people who lived out these stories and brutally treated Christ followers like Paul because they chose not to change their story. And may I tell you the same is true today. Jesus made it possible for us to change our story. But the truth is, most don't make the choice. If we're going to live lives that at the end aren't filled with regret, if we're going to live lives that in the end we don't grieve over, if we're going to live lives that ultimately measure up to our, our true longings and our true dreams for life and fullness, then, then we have to choose the right story. And I'm here to encourage you. This is an encouraging message. The story that you've written yourself doesn't have to be your final story. You can change your story. You can live a different life. It's an encouraging message, but, but to encourage you with this message, I have to tell you the truth, that this new story doesn't come without a price. This new story doesn't come without choices being made. And too many of us who sit in churches judging the rest of the world are putting ourselves in the context where the story of Jesus is talked about, but we haven't yet chosen to live that story. It's easy to sing about the story, and it's easy to talk about the story, and it's easy to celebrate the story, but it's an entirely different thing to choose the story. There were thousands who celebrated the story of Jesus in his day, but when it led to his death and his rejection, there were ultimately only 120 left standing because, as it turned out, they didn't choose a different story. As long as Jesus was the genie in the bottle giving them the good stuff of life that they didn't get in the Roman Empire, they were for him. But the minute it turned sour and bad and got dark and ugly and brutality continued to reign in their lives, they, they went on living their own story, looking for something else in life. And the same thing's going on here. I, I want to encourage you. You don't have to live the story that you've written. Jesus made it possible for you to change your story, but you have to choose to live the right story. And with that comes the how, right? I mean, well, how do we, how do we live that, that new story? Well, I think what we can do is we can look to Paul and we can, we can see what he really did. We can see the choices he made. And, and I'm really trying to weave this as a pattern of my life. And I have to tell you, I am not the perfect example of someone who is perfectly trying to weave these principles into their lives, but I am... I am on the journey of making the attempt, and I, I want to encourage you to join me. If we're going to choose the right story, we learn from Paul that, and this is really vital, we can't change our story without Christ. We can't do it. I mean, we can't change our story by becoming religious. We can't change our story by upsetting our schedule and coming to church once in a while. We can't change our story by throwing something in an offering plate. We can't change our story by putting on the rituals and the traditions and the trappings of religion. We can't change our story by, you know, going to catechism and do it. We can't change our story. We can't. Not without Christ. 
You see, there were lots of religious people. Paul was a religious person. And there were lots of religious people in his day who were living monstrous life trying to destroy the followers of Christ in the name of their God, in the name of religion. They had put on religion, they just hadn't changed their story. And the same thing goes on today where people in the name of Jesus speak with hatred and unforgiveness. People in the name of Jesus put politics above, above morality and values and people and goodness and all. It's just nuts. We can't change our story without Christ. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Paul wrote to the believers in Rome, and he said, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see the two stories there? Er earlier in Romans 3, 23, he says, All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And now he's telling the story. He's going, you know, the story all of us have written is sin. We've all rebelled against God different ways, different means, different levels. For some of us, it's more obvious than others, but all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And, and now he says, you know what? The only result of a life of sin is, the only result is death. You don't know God's life. You only know death. You don't know God's peace. You only know, you only know conflict. You don't know God's joy. You only know despair. You don't know God's hope. You only know hopelessness. I mean, come on. That's the end of that life. That's all we get on our own. Do you know what the end chapter of every one of our lives is if all we have is what we've done? It's death, destruction, separation from God. But, he says, but, and I've learned this, I've learned this, that doesn't have to be my story. It doesn't have to end that way. The last chapter doesn't have to be like that because the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. My Lord, he goes, there's a new story that can be written. There's a new ending that can be written. Jesus can give me life, not death, and, and hope, and not hopelessness, but I've got to choose that story. It's like a gift. I've got to unwrap it. Jesus made it possible for us to change our story, but we can't change our story without Christ. He's got to be at the center. He's got to be first. John 15, 5, Paul simply living out what Jesus said. Jesus says, I'm the vine, the source of life. You're just branches. So if a branch, if a human being remains in me and I in them, they'll bear much fruit. I mean, of course. But if you detach the branch from the vine, it's lifeless. And so apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. If you're looking for a new story, I want you to know it's available to you, but it has to be in Jesus and Jesus alone. You say, what about all the other religions? All the other religions are the same as the Christian religion. Without Jesus, you can't change your story. You can just change your language. Jesus needs to be at the center. Is he, is he at the center of your story? Is he what made the difference to you? It, was it when your eyes were opened to Jesus that you saw that you were living the wrong story, repented of that, and then turned so that he could live his story in you? Is Jesus the only explanation for your life? I am telling you, I, I, I am far from the perfect example of anything, but there's not a person who knew me before Jesus who knows me now and doesn't understand that Jesus was the catalyst that changed my story. Is that true of you? I mean, that's got to be true. You say, no, it's not Jesus, it's Northridge. Oh, you are a suck-up, first of all. And second of all, if Northridge is changing your life, it's not going to be changed for long. 
Jesus has to change your life because he does it from the inside. What we learn from Paul is that if we're going to choose the right story, if we're going to really live out this different story, then we can't go halfway. We can't go halfway. We, we have to go all in. We have to sell out to it. And, you know, there are a bunch of people that are on the fence. I mean, I'll follow Jesus as long as it goes well, but if it doesn't go well, out. What we do is we keep our options for retreat open. I'm going to walk this path for a while, but the minute things don't go, work out, then I'm going to follow another path because it's all about things working out for me. Aren't you glad that Paul didn't live for things to work out for him? Paul lived so Jesus would be praised through his life. I mean, that's how he lived, and that's how we have to live. We have to sell out. In, in the book of Romans, he wrote to the believers in Rome, he, man, it's a great letter about the truths of Jesus and what he brought to us. And by chapter 12, he had laid out all the great grace of Jesus. And, and then in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12, he starts giving the application. And he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of all that Jesus has done for you, making it possible for you to live a new story, here's how you need to respond. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You know, when you offer a sacrifice, you don't give it and take it back. You don't hold on to it at the same time. When you offer a sacrifice, you know what you do. You, you give it away. You lose it. And he's saying, if you're going to know the story that Jesus has written for you, then you have to take your life and you have to give it to him. Sell out. Go all in. Which means, he says in verse 2, that you won't any longer conform your thoughts to the pattern of thinking of this world. You, you won't be selfish. You won't be self-centered. You won't make it all about you. That's what Caesar was doing. That's what all those in the Roman Empire were doing. That's not what Paul was doing. He chose a dungeon over prosperity in the name of Jesus because he says, whatever God wants, I'm going to trust him that even in darkness and brutality, his goodness can be expressed. And, and he trusted him. And so he gave his life to him. He sacrificed it. He wasn't conformed to the pattern of this world, but he was transformed by the renewing of his mind. And then he says, if you want to be able to test and approve, to demonstrate and experience what God's will is, what God's story for your life is, that it's good, pleasing, and perfect, then you need to go all in. You can't go halfway into this story. I, I love this about Paul. I mean, he was all in to destroying believers, Christ followers. He was all in. He goes, man, I, I don't believe in this Jesus thing. I'm going to kill every one of them. But then when he saw Jesus for who he was, and he says, I lived the wrong story before, I'm going to live the right story now. He was all in for Jesus. It didn't matter what happened, he was in for Jesus. That's what it takes to write this story. Too many of us sit on the fence, giving as little as possible to Jesus, hoping for his maximum blessing in our lives. How little can I give him and still have all he has for me? It doesn't work that way. When you sell out, you experience him. When you don't, you don't. Jesus is the one that said it. Look at Luke 14, verse 33. He, he, he said, in the same way, any of you who does not give up... What's that word? Yeah, by the way, I, um, I know Northridge Brighton, you're up there, and all the parking is gone, and you're parking in grass and fields up there. I know that. I know that place is full up there, and I know that just now when I asked you to say the word everything, the roof went off. We're going to have to come and repair the building. It was amazing. 
Gros Eel, same thing. I'm sure you shook that little place down there in Gros Eel, and all of the island heard you scream and everything. Here in Plymouth, it was like, mm -hmm. <laughs> So I'm going to give you another chance, okay? Jesus in Luke 14, 33 said, In the same way, any of you who does not give up Everything. cannot be my disciple. You know what? Not many people have given up everything for him, which means not many are living out the story. You know why Paul went from a monster to a saint? Because he sold out for the new story. Sold out. Many of us are kind of like, well, I'll like live for Jesus at church, but no one's going to know in the marketplace. No one's going to know in the family. I'm going to kind of keep it private and secret and hidden. You can't sell out for a new story and not publish it, friends. We've got to publish it. Retreat, going back, is easy when you allow yourself the option. Did you know that? When you don't sell out, I mean, you can retreat. And this is what most of us do. There's a famous story. You've probably heard it. I certainly didn't originate it. But it's about a guy who was a Spanish explorer in the 1500s. You've, I'm sure you've heard of Cortez. Cortez is really famous, and he did something crazy. He, he decided to go after all the wealth of the Aztecs. He, he wanted to conquer the empire of Mexico that had existed for 600 years, had been time and time attacked by huge empires and huge leaders and lots of resources and big armies and they had lost every time. No one could take down the empire that existed in Mexico and he decided to go after them with 600 people. 600. Thinking they could just take it down. Well, what's weird is they won. They conquered it. As it, as it turns out, the reason they conquered it was because Cortes made an unbelievable decision. They landed on the Yucatan principle, uh, uh, Peninsula with 11 boats. And he decided to destroy those boats, all but one, which was going to take the, the part that would go back to his king, his, his empire. Um, he destroyed all the boats. And you know why he's destroyed all the boats? So that the only option those 600 had to live was to fight and move forward. And so they won. It's a great example of what it takes to do what Paul ultimately did, to successfully go from living the wrong story to living the right one. It takes 100% commitment. You have to burn all the rest of the boats. We need to choose the right story, the story God has for us, and sell out to it. Do you know why Christianity talks about power but doesn't experience power? Do you know why Christianity today often talks about God's promises but they're nowhere evidence? Do you know why Christianity talks a lot about love but it expresses hatred and unforgiveness just like everyone else in the world? Do you know why that's true? It's because we tell the story but we haven't sold out to it. But when we give ourselves entirely to it, it becomes our story like it did Paul. If we're going to choose the right story, we, we learn from Paul that we can't be impressed by the wrong things. We can't be impressed by the wrong things. And by nature, we are. I mean, I stood in front of that Colosseum, and this thing's now, and, you know, from antiquity. It used to be huge, a lot bigger than it was. It used to be coated with, like, 
marble and it used to glow like this. This thing was opulence and all of Rome was like this. And, you know, if I walk into the ancient city and I'm overwhelmed by man's creativity and genius and the prosperity of Caesar and the Roman Empire, it's crazy. But Paul walked into it at its prime and he wasn't impressed. You know why? Because he understood that all of that was nothing compared to the glory of God. He believed that God's glory was more valuable to him in a dungeon than all that Caesar would ever have or ever experience. In fact, he took what John wrote seriously. 1 John 2, 15 through 17, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And he says, for everything in the world, you know, all the stuff that Rome expressed, the cravings of sinful man, all the pleasures they pursue, the lust of the eyes, everything they desire for themselves, and the boasting of what they have and they do, that doesn't come from the Father. That comes from the world. And here's the reason it's not valuable. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Caesar had the better story, it seemed, when Paul was in the dungeon. But who had the better story, really? And you know what's really sad? We're so impressed by what people have in this moment that we're compromising our lives to be like them instead of realizing that God's glory is greater than any glory man will ever experience. We have to stop being impressed by the wrong thing. Paul even said it when he wrote to the Romans in chapter 8, verse 18, I consider that all of our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. To Paul, all of the glory of Rome didn't compare to the glory of God, and he would rather have God with a dungeon than Caesar's palace without God. And when you live like that, it changes your story. But this is a difficult choice for most of us because our eyes, let's be honest, our eyes are drawn to the wrong things. Our heart beats fast for the wrong things. We're impressed by the wrong thing. I mean, I, look at I know. It's me. I mean, ever since I've been born, I've looked at the White House, you know, the center of American power, the center of American politics where the president lives. I've looked at that house. It's like so awe-inspiring, that house, that White House, and I've just known I'm supposed to live there. I mean, it's like, wow, that'd be, my office should be oval. And, and I, I'm easily impressed by the things of this world. I'm easily impressed with people who have power and prosperity in this world. Here's the problem. God's far more impressive. Eternity's far more glorious. And if we're ever going to live the right story, then we with Paul have to choose to believe that God's glory, no matter what we experience in this moment, can't be compared with any glory this world will give us. And yet too many of us are compromising our relationships with God to get a little bit of glory here a little bit of pleasure, a little bit of attention, a little bit of power, and a little bit of prosperity. No wonder we're writing the wrong story. We're impressed by all the wrong things. If we're going to choose the right story, Paul makes it very clear that we can't eliminate the conflicts. 
I wish we could. Wouldn't, doesn't it seem like our stories would be so much better if there was no conflict in them? But the truth is, there's no such thing as a story without conflict. And yet many people who are following Christ are trying to eliminate the conflict. You know, wanna, uh, well, I'm going to live for Jesus, but I'm not going to, like, talk about him with people. I'm not going to, like, let people at work know or in my neighborhood know. I'm not going to let people know because that would create tension and dissonance and conflict, and that wouldn't be good. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to follow Jesus, but eliminate the con conflict. And you know what a lot of Christians are doing today? They're saying, boy, if I live for Jesus and his, his truth, that creates conflict in a culture that rejects him and his values. And so why don't we just kind of water his truth down, take out the uncomfortable parts of his truth, adapt it to our culture today, so then we eliminate the conflict. But what you're doing is you're saying, I don't believe Jesus, I'm going to write my own truth. And it doesn't get you anywhere, you see. And so we, we can't eliminate the conflict if we're going to really choose Jesus' story. How can you follow someone who lived so truly to his story that they pounded nails in him and let him die on a cross and experience to have no conflict? You can't do it. Mark chapter 13, verse 13, he said it. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. In other words, but when you keep living my story, your story will be celebrated. It, Paul decided that he would take all the short-term conflicts of the world, rejection and torture and dungeons, and death, so that he could experience eternity with God without the conflict. But most of us choose to eliminate the conflicts today, and in so doing, we're heaping up conflict for eternity. Hell is the ultimate conflict of rejecting Jesus and his conflicts today. And we have to decide which conflicts do we accept. If we're going to choose the right story, Paul teaches us that we have to know that Jesus is always with us and always for us, no matter what. And I have to tell you, this is a hard one, because when things go really badly, it feels like he's not for us. When things go south, it feels like he's not with us. But you see, Paul in the dungeon, knew that Jesus was just as powerfully present with him as when he was free. And the way he handled the dungeon was by knowing Jesus was with him in the dungeon, with him no matter what. Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39. Once again, Paul wrote it to the church at Rome, and he says, Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, that's pretty funny, right? The guy who was being thrown in a dungeon and was the big loser of the world that appeared says, We're always more than conquerors. Wow. How could he believe that? For I am convinced, he says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Now listen to me. We often feel like we're losing. We often feel like we're on the losing side, and it makes us feel like God is ignoring us and distant and not present with us. But none of that's true if we're in Jesus. Here's the truth. If Jesus is present we are winning. 
If Jesus is present, we are winning. It doesn't matter if the people put us in a dungeon. It doesn't matter if the world rejects us. It doesn't matter if it looks like darkness is owning the world. The truth is, with Jesus with us, we're conquerors. And if we keep conquering, the story we write with our lives will be a story worth celebrating. We just have to keep believing. So, I don't know what you're experiencing right now. But I know this, Jesus is right there. And if you're making all the wrong choices in your story, it's because you've forgotten that. And I want to encourage you to remember Jesus is present. Jesus was present in Paris before and after those attacks. Remember, Jesus proves that you can live a life of goodness and still be destroyed by darkness, but they don't win in the end because he rose again. And Jesus is present in the valley of the shadow of death. He's our shepherd, and we just have to keep owning it. He is with us. If we're going to choose the right story, then we learn from Paul that we have to, we have, to have the help. We must have the help of others in our life. Paul... Paul learned from Jesus that no matter who we are, we need others around us. Their encouragement, their support, their help. Paul's always inviting people into his life and opening his chest and, and you know, sharing the reality and letting them encourage and lift him up. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, he says, only Luke is with me. And when he wrote to Timothy, by the way, he was in prison in Rome. He was facing his ultimate martyrdom. And he said, only Luke is with me right now. Would you get Mark and bring him with you? Because he too will be an encouragement for me in my ministry. I mean, I need the help of others. He, he didn't think he was so strong that he didn't need others. One of the saddest things he ever wrote was when he, he wrote, at my first offense, when I was being put on trial for the first time for my faith in Jesus, everyone deserted me. I had no one standing with me. He knew Jesus was with him. That's why he stayed faithful. But, I mean, he was all alone humanly. And this is why he always tried to surround himself with other people. And you know why many of us live the wrong story instead of the right story? It's because we're not letting the right people into our lives to help and encourage and strengthen us. Too many of us are doing it all alone. We come into a place like Northridge alone and stay anonymous, and we leave alone and stay anonymous, and, and we're trying to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and do it alone. Let me tell you, Jesus is always with you, and Jesus can change your story, but Jesus made your story to involve other people. And you need to invite them in. We need each other. I need you, and you need me. And together we can become more like Jesus than we ever can alone. Don't do it alone. We need the help of others to write this new story. And then... If we choose the right story, we learn from Paul that we must live with the end in mind. We must live with the end in mind. The word res retrospective means to look back. And, and I believe we need to live retrospectively. I believe that we need to, in every choice we make today, and we need to put ourselves at the end of our lives, standing with Jesus or in front of Jesus, and we need to ask this question, what will be the choice I wished I had made then? Too many of us are going with the moment, this will feel good, this would be great, this will, this will make my life better in the moment, this will help me right now, and then we regret it. You know what Paul did? Paul, 
He didn't go to a dungeon because he says, you know, I don't know, a dungeon's just a little bit more comfortable than a palace. That's not why he did it. He, he was willing to live in a dungeon because he was put in a dungeon for making the right decision, the decision that he would have hoped he had made when he was at the end of his life. A lot of people in Paul's days were making convenient decisions, and you know what they do now? They regret it every second of eternity. But Paul lived with the end in mind. Look at how he says it, once again, writing from the prisons in Rome and to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 6-8, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. I'm being tortured and betrayed, and, and the time has now come for my departure. That's a nice way of saying, they're going to kill me. But, then he, but look at the comfort he is. He says, but hey, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. I've made the right decisions. And now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me. He'll do exactly the same thing to all who longed for his appearing, who longed for his appearing. What's that saying? For all who lived in the moment remembering that he was coming back to all who lived in the moment remembering that one day they would stand in front of him, to all who lived their lives today with the end in mind. I made a lot of bad choices in my life, and every single one of them was motivated by what's good for right now. The good choices are motivated by what will be good for this story when I'm at the end. Paul lived a horrific story. We can relate. But then he chose to change his story. We can do the same thing. But to do it, we have to choose Jesus. Because apart from him, we have nothing. Many of you say, well, I've already chosen Jesus. That's awesome. But I, I, I want to tell you something. Choosing Jesus in your past is not enough. You have to choose Jesus every day of your present, and you have to be all in, sold out. You can't go halfway, or you're not really following Jesus or living that story. And I want to encourage you who are faith followers of Jesus, sell out to him, follow him, live the way Paul did, and write a story worth celebrating in the end. And for those of you whether you're here in Plymouth or you're there in Gross Eel or you're at Northridge Brighton or Northridge Saline or maybe even watching online, I encourage you, choose Jesus. And so just before we end this service, I'm going to ask if you would honor the moment and bow with me in a word of prayer. And as we pray, if you're a believer, I hope you're talking to God about your deal. But if you're not, why don't you pray with me? Take my words in this prayer and make them yours. In your heart, you don't have to scream it out, but in your heart to God, just say, Jesus, I really have lived the wrong story. Done my own thing my own way, and it's just, it's not leading me where I know I'm supposed to be. But you, Jesus, died on that cross so that my story could be changed, and you rose again so that my story could be new. And so I'm giving you my old story, and I'm receiving your new story by faith, trusting you to save me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed with me, please let us know. I mean, we want so much. Remember, you can't do it alone. We want so much to be a part of encouraging next steps in your relationship with God. So we've put together a letter about things you can do. 
And if that's you and you just prayed with me, fill out the connection card in the program if you're in one of our live services. Check the bottom thing that says you just prayed with me. Fill it out and there are boxes at every exit. And if you're watching online, hit the what next button. We'll do the same thing for you. And as for the rest of us, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad that you sing the stories of Jesus and talk the language of Jesus and all that stuff. But wouldn't it be so much better for us to live out the story of Jesus? And that demands a choice, and it's a choice I hope each and every one of us will make. For those of you at our regionals, at Northridge Grosseal, at Northridge Saline, at Northridge Brighton, I'm so glad you're a part of Northridge. I'm going to let your campus pastors finish out the service there. We're just so glad that you're here. But for those of you here at Plymouth, uh, I'm so thankful that you were here, that you took the time to be here, and I can't wait to see what happens when we live his story. The world will be a better place. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.